Hello, and welcome to our special Fables retrospective episode for our current season, Lost. Um, I am your sort of loose host for this, and also the GM for this past season, Fiona L.F. Kelly. And I also have some special guests here with me in this beginning segment of our uh, special Fables retrospective episode. Um, joining me, I have Tom Goldthwaite, who was our producer and sort of like my co-writer, co-GM person on the season. We have Caitlin, who played uh, Lady Detective Posey Drew Fisher, and we have Adam Vass, who is the game designer of Babes in the Wood, the incredible game that we played on this season, and whose name I've been saying wrong the entire season, <laughs> and I apologize for that. <laughs> No worries. I think people people are apprehensive <laughs> because to get it to say it to say vas and to be wrong it risks sounding insulting. I think, um, but it is the right way. So here we are. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but um, if you don't mind, I'd like to sort of uh, start with kind of a funny story about how I found Babes in the Woods. Yeah. Um, so a friend of mine, Alex Punsakar made a game called It's in the Vents, which he made for the Ad Astra Game Jam for your game, All the Love We Leave Behind. Um, And I'm like, this game is really cool. The original game is really cool. Um, And I ended up finding babes through looking for your, through your, uh, through your whole list of games. I'm like, oh, we should like play this game on, uh, on fables around the table. I said, having never seen over the garden wall or having ever <laughs> heard of it at the time or anything. So a couple months later, when I saw over the garden wall, I'm like, wow, this really reminds me of that, like cool game that I heard of babes in the woods. That, that like the eighth episode was called babes in the wood. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was actually the first role-playing game I ever published and um I wouldn't I I would say I'm still as as brazen as I was then but uh yeah, was not trying to hide the influence there. <laughs> yeah, no, I I thought it was a lot of fun. Um I I had already had the the first edition and had been really excited to play it for a long time. Um, and I was really happy when we reached out to you and you said that you were coming out with another edition of it as well, and we were able to uh, play it on the show. That was that was very cool. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great timing um, because I had been sort of wanting to do the second edition for some time and just didn't necessarily um make the time or space for it in my production schedule just because it's um difficult for me to choose one thing and see it through i I always want to just do whatever is exciting in the moment or uh it like a lot of game designers i just have a thousand works in progress um but your excitement about it and wanting to do it on the show kind of lit the fire under me that I needed to continue and finish uh, the second edition that I'd been wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. We were really excited that you did. It was, it was cool to play sort of like a beta version of the game too, and see how that uh, design process works sort of like uh, following along through our Google doc version of it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She was also terrified every time she opened it. She was going to accidentally I, like, delete the whole thing. I know. I was, <laughs> I was so scared of it. It was always like, oh, wait, don't touch anything, just in case. <laughs> there yeah. was a, a time that my editor was working on it and texted me and said, hey, are you working on the doc right now? 
And I'm like, no, what's up? And he's like, there's like eight people here. (laughs) (laughs) It's Google Docs and you just see the little icons in the corner. But I think they were all, you know, like anonymous. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alligator or whatever, like the, the random animals. And he didn't know what was going on. He's like, I feel like I'm not supposed to be working on it right now. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I told him, yeah, let's let's just leave it. Because there was also this thing in my mind of like, what if we edit or I write the section that they're currently in need of like today? <laughs> <laughs> the odds are low, but it was possible that uh, that would happen. And it was a fun thing too, to listen to the show and sort of be cognizant of the state that the game was in when you started. And then when I finished, um, not that play changed that much, but just in my head, I I'm, um, hyper aware of, well, now I put this tool in their toolkit. Let's see if they use it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, which sort of leads me into, uh, our first question that we got from someone, which is kind of for me and Tom, um, but is sort of loosely related to what we're talking about. It's from our friend Cliff, uh, who played the Scarecrow's Cedar and Cinder on this season and, um, also do all sorts of stuff with Project Derailed and Fables Around the Table. And, uh, Cliff asked, uh, when coming up for the story for Lost, how much was inspired by material from the beta that you got versus outside influences? Um, and my sort of answer for this is that, uh, the beta that we got at first was, was pretty basic. It was like, you know, your moves and basic, uh, story information for the game that it's inspired by over the garden wall, but there's all these like different elements to it and things like that. And I was also sort of taking inspiration, not like the rules or anything, but uh, looking at the first game and being like, okay, this was like a little bit of the intention here. And then putting in like, you know, a dash of like Alice in Wonderland and all sorts of stuff to sort of create our own uh, little world and things like that. Yeah, I setting is almost always the final thing I write or I guess uh, adventures and stuff because it's a weird philosophical hurdle for me to say this is the way in which this game should be played. Um, I like yeah. just don't like to say that sentence or even imply <laughs> it. And so it's always the thing I'm dreading the most, but I also recognize that like to be a functional game book a lot of the time you need you at least need to give people a push in a certain direction so with babes in the wood the first edition there's um these really brief uh glimpses at groups of people or locations that would involve some sort of central problem that the kids could I was going to say solve. It's, I, I don't know if solve is the right word. And I think you all kind of experienced this too. Of Address, I guess, is the right word. Because um, what it means to solve a problem as a kid is innately different than what it is as an adult. And that's, yeah. to, to me, it's almost more like about fun. facing the problem than solving yeah. the problem. You, you can't ignore it, but how it is integrated um, and what you do about it is pure kid energy and that's what makes babes really fun to me um so in the first edition they're they're really brief and it'll just say you know here's someone who has a problem and it doesn't there's no mechanic 
to it or no numbers. Um, there's not even like suggested resolutions for it because you really just can't plan for that kid energy. Um, mm-hmm. That's fair. The, the new the new edition has a little bit more structure in how conflict can be quantified as the game master or if you're playing without a game master which is a thing that i added later on too um that has still still structures everything in the sense of these characters have problems and the kids can uh address them but now there's a little bit more mechanical facing stuff on how to see how big a problem is and if the kids are making progress towards it or if they're making things worse and how those sort of relate to the overarching idea that the kids are through helping one helping the people that they meet they're sort of actualizing themselves and becoming like more full people yeah yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um it was definitely cool kind of like as a gm um i'm not really a you know gm that puts like a particular resolution on like oh they have to like do this particular thing to like unlock this particular outcome i just sort of like have npcs with motivations and kind of like if the if the characters are doing something that seems like it makes sense i'll like be like okay roll the dice let's see what happens (laughs) um and that really lent itself well to babes in the wood and just like powered by the apocalypse in general i think is really a really useful for that sort of like storytelling um it was really interesting to see how like caitlin you know posey and and odell and uh, reggie sort of like face problems with the fiend and and realized pretty early on that it was sort of like friendship and togetherness and like being able to face your fears through this sort of like uh join friendship that they would be able to make their way out of the woods yeah i'm really glad that that worked and felt like that was what you were supposed to do because that is as far as my game designer prescriptivist philosophy that is what you're supposed to do is like have fun and be friends and like just be cool and make jokes and it's going to innately get dark and weird sometimes but like the way you overcome that is just by being friends together yeah yeah, I think that I, I think that all the players did a really good job with that, and I hope that I sort of like communicated effectively that that's sort of what where my brain was as well. <laughs> Let's do another question. Um, so our friend uh, Kitty asked, uh, "What were the biggest changes from the beta version on the show to the released version?" As much as you want to talk about sort of like the final draft. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so there are a handful of more. Well, a lot of what the later stuff comes in the second edition um, is support for different styles of play that would not have necessarily affected you all on the show. Um, for example, there I mentioned there's a GMless way of playing, so the kids kind of build their own trouble, and um, it sort of naturally mechanically escalates whether the kids want it to or not um because i find with a lot of gmless stuff especially this where you're very precious about your characters you're um, a little apprehensive to introduce risk and danger um so you can always do that on your own but then the game also does a little bit too so um 
there's a cool emulation of almost like the fiend's uh, invisible influence over the game itself as you play that way. That makes sense. That's cool. There's I I mentioned also the like setting development. There's um, I think three uh, pre-built hollows that are each populated with some people and problems that are fun to explore. They're effectively what a, a module of play looks like to me. Um, they're not like maps and stats and everything. All of the NPC stats are just um, like like you mentioned, Fiona. They're just sort of what the character wants or what they're afraid of and sort of emotional cues that you can use to play them. Um, shoot, I had I had another significant thing. I, I don't remember if big problems was or not big problems. Uh, genius ideas or genius plans was part of the text, but the idea that um, kids would craft this almost like Rune Goldberg machine of moves, <laughs> and rather than having everyone um, do the explicit fallout for their chosen move, it's sort of replaces that with everyone rolling and then having a net result for the group as a whole. So if one person botches their part of the plan, the plan can still happen as long as most of the players um, did well on their roles. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah, that that's interesting because I think that we saw like just in our own game that sort of like happening um, just sort of naturally where like, you know, one of them would try to do it and then like Reggie would try to do team up and then they'd end up using a wish and like <laughs> yeah. sort of like try to get to the end result uh, by each putting in, you know, some sort of contribution. I like that a lot. That's really cool. There's a, there's a few other things that I'm like struggling to think. Of. I wish I had the book in front of me, but uh, it's still on its way from the printer. And uh, I'm very, very anxious to hold it in my hands, but. Um, for the most part, the th- like you mentioned earlier, you have all the basic moves and all the character special moves that would allow you to functionally play the game uh, without some of the minutia or more kind of specific mechanics. Yeah, I don't think it was a huge problem for us or anything. No, no. Especially because you had the, the first edition, so you kind of knew where everything was coming from. Yeah. Totally. We actually done, I think, a lot of the pre-production on first edition. So that's why, like, the three characters or, like, the three, the three like, archetypes you had for the right. first edition. Because yeah. they had already kind of picked that and worked it out. Yeah, we had already sort of, like, cast everyone thinking we're going to do Big Kid, Little Kid, and, and Critter. And I, I told everyone, like, there are two, you know, there are two additional classes. But I think everyone was sort of, like, attached to the idea of doing Big Kid, Little Kid, Critter. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it is the over over the garden wall blueprint. And it works right. for a reason. It's it's really the over fun. the garden wall meta, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm interested to hear how people use and react to the two new classes, which are Woods Child, which is a kid who has either been in the woods so long they don't remember their home, or they were actually born and raised within the wood and they've never seen the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um. And the toy, which is you know, literally is a toy that comes to life. It's it's Toy Story <laughs> hybrid mm-hmm. with this with this setting. So um, I think they'll be fun. I think they each offer like unique, different perspectives that 
hopefully will still feed into the kind of existing dynamic of, um, you know, caring for each other and goofing off and being afraid and all the good kids tropes that are in play. Yeah, we did try to loosely have those, um, have those, you know, additional classes like represented, especially towards the end of the show and, uh, episode five when they go to the train station um i did try to put in like i think he was like a frankenstein plush of of some sort and um the ticket taker you know having been in the woods so long except i had him like magically grow up (laughs) yeah but yeah uh that reminds me too of the other big thing that i added that i don't think was there when you got the text is the concept of uh shadow characters which are effectively characters that are um by either by choice or through ma- manipulation like acting on behalf of the fiend and so, so rather than the fiend getting their hands dirty uh, directly um this is sort of like the the woodsman in in over the garden wall but someone who does the fiend's bidding whether they are aware that that's what they're doing or not and sometimes they're just you know like chaos agents um, and sometimes they are someone who means well and is being tricked. Um, when I listened to the final episode, it seemed like it, at least one, probably a couple of the scarecrows uh, who were who were causing issues could have been shadow air quotes shadows. Um, but it's again just sort of this uh, system in place in the game for people to have adversaries in a world that doesn't want to necessarily be antagonistic towards the player characters. Yeah. And I would say definitely like the spider would fall into that yeah. like for sure. The ticket taker potentially with like what they were doing with yeah. like collecting everyone at the station. I think that those were added sort of in the middle of recording. Um, yeah. And I was like, we've like kind of been doing that. Um, I think that this was in the first edition as well, but but my understanding of the fiend through like the show and the materials I got and everything was that it's not like a D and D monster. Like it's not like a dragon that you're supposed to hit until it has zero hit points. Um, it's someone, it's like a, a thing or a force that makes you give in to those like dark impulses within yourself. Um, so what they're really trying to defeat is, you know, is like being like, no, actually, you can be a good person. Um, you can like help other people and things like that. And sort of like um, realizing that those impulses are in themselves, like in their own characters, but it's okay to be able to like work through that. Like there is sort of like a light at the end of the tunnel there. Totally. Yeah, That that's, I mean, I, I can't take uh, all the credit that I want to take because so <laughs> because the game is so obviously directly influenced by this cartoon and by other cartoons like it like Ad- Adventure Time and stuff um yeah that those themes are so deeply ingrained in modern children's media um I didn't make them but I do have the sort of game designer eye to catch them and then try to quantify them in some way that uh they naturally translate to role playing yeah i want to tell my own like funny anecdote about the game okay uh, (laughs) when i first learned that like the the three archetypes were like big kid little kid and animal um 
for some reason, I just forgot Beatrice was a thing. So I'm like, so wait, you're playing Greg Wirt and the Toad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying that. I'm like, well, <laughs> Beatrice isn't there for like the first couple episodes, really. She's, yeah, I think yeah. that's why. Because I was like thinking like episode game. one, like who's there? It's Greg and it's Wirt and it's the, I guess it's a frog. I yeah, it's a frog. frog toad. Um, I'm like, well, okay, those are the three. <laughs> but like one person, what, you just like don't talk? <laughs> That would be a very different game, but I, <laughs> I want to. I almost want to see it happen. There actually was, I had planned for second edition um, some classes that I that didn't make it into the book, and one of them was just a normal animal or like a non sentient animal, and I just couldn't. There was too much dissonance with having these animals that maybe used to be kids, and then. Uh, just like a regular one. So like you're saying, like what would be the role? It would be really funny, but what yeah. could I say with <laughs> just a regular frog? Yeah, I think like realistically at the table, that's probably better understood as just like, you know, something that goes in like Greg's gearbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of like a really weird DM NPC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get to another question. So Kitty also asked, uh, what is your favorite part of game design and development? Oh, it, I mean, it's probably... That's not <laughs> complicated. That's easy. Yeah, that's an easy question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably just the very beginning of that, like, just influx of ideas and inspiration. Uh, Even before I'm writing... I mean, I think by the time I'm writing it, it exists in my head in some form already. And that translation is actually kind of an arduous process, but the impetus of a game design, the, I know I want to make this and I know how, and that is like really exhilarating and it's, you know, it's lightning in a bottle. It, it's, uh, not something you can necessarily plan for or around, but when it happens, uh, you hopefully catch it and notice, um, so yeah, which is especially difficult for a project like this, where first edition came out in 2017, and then last year I had I had been planning to do the Babes Kickstarter in October with another book uh, in the spring. Then my spring book got canceled, and I did uh, this like weird science fantasy metal game called Necronautilus uh, in July. And that game accidentally got more popular than I expected, which is, you know, a great problem to have. But yeah. in doing so, it created three or four months worth of work on that book, which delayed Babes in the Wood. So despite having those moments and seeing the lightning kind of starting to go off, I couldn't go out with the jar to try to capture it because I just had so much and my schedule was all wonky. Um, then by the time I got to it, which again, your show really inspired me to <laughs> do, to do it deliberately. Um, it was like December, like a little bit, it, it was beyond behind schedule. Um, but it rallied me and got me to like focus my energies to find that lightning in a bottle again and get excited to make the game. And 
than I did. Um, I, so, so that's probably my favorite part. The other favorite part is just having it finished in my hand. Um, cause I am a big print forward designer. Um, obviously a lot of indie RPGs now exist digitally and I, and that's awesome. And it lowers the barrier of entry for every designer and publisher. But, um, I come from music and DIY culture and having, you know, collectible or tangible pieces of media. And so when I have the print book in my hand at the end while I'm shipping them and, and have them in my closet uh, as the inventory, that's the other favorite part is just the realization of the whole process and just feeling somewhat complete. Um, it's tricky because, yeah. you know, I say that, but I just made this game a second time. <laughs> so it's not exactly <laughs> complete, but having print certainly feels a lot more finished uh, and, and that's a great feeling. Caitlin, uh, you had a question, I believe. Um, yeah. So um, the question I, that I have for you, especially after hearing the answers to um, some of these previous questions, um, is I guess when you're in the like lightning stage of designing game, um, I guess when you're going out with the jar to catch it, um, right. do you have your own specific setting in mind? Um, I know you'd said that you were trying to avoid basically putting in um, that you didn't want to, I guess, like impose your own idea of the game over onto the people that would then be subsequently running it. Um, right. But did you have your own setting in mind or your own hollows or characters? That's a good question. And it's a thing I wrestle with because I think I innately do. And, and to some extent, my role as a game designer is to say here is what I'm picturing this game being, right? Um, but I wrestle with finding balance, uh, prescribing specifics, setting, and I can't and um, like adventure arcs or mission structure and that kind of thing um, with just the sort of free form storytelling that role playing games are. Uh, so with with Babes. I and obviously it's evocative of North American forests. Um and part of I I I nearly had a panic in design where I was like I'm focusing so much on what a forest is to me as someone who lived in Indiana and Michigan most of my life that I feel like I'm not leaving space in this game design for what a forest can be to someone else whether mm -hmm. it's in uh, South America or Asia or, or Australia. And just like even the example animals that I offer as being critters that would live in the setting uh, was causing me grief of like, how, how much should I populate this with my own understanding of the world and how much should I leave for other people to impose their own worlds in this? Um, and I don't think I ever really find a perfect balance or I find extreme comfort in that answer. Um, the other thing and the example hollows in the book do, I hope, hopefully a good job of this is explaining that the wood is not a place that responds to logic. And so anything can be in the wood 
Um, mm -hmm. So my, there's three examples in the book and the first is just sort of a mundane kind of new Englandy town with humans that live there. And um, they're mostly having governmental issues like small town council. And uh, there's also a, a magician who may or may not be an alien. Uh, <laughs> then these, the second one is a town where all of the living creatures uh, live in the trees with these suspension bridges because the ground is revered for ghosts only. Um, and then the third is just an actual like cave area for bears and wolves um, that they're not clothed bears. They're not bipedal bears. They're just regular old bears, but they also can talk and play guitars and stuff. Um, <laughs> so the idea being by offering these three really dynamic and really different hollows, I'm hopefully implying to the reader that anything goes here. Yeah. And I think that like works really well. Um, I, I know that like that sort of like prescription versus open-ended tension is real in a lot of games. Right. But I think, I mean, it seems to me like the approach you took is like perfect where it's like, you're kind of sketching the, this really broad zone of stuff you can do. And yeah. You're like filling in in immense detail one little thing, but deliberately leaving the rest of the like. This is not really a map, but like a sort of like metaphorical design map. It's like all uncharted territory outside of this one spot. You're sketched with a lot of detail. To me, that seems really cool. I think that's like a really smart way to kind of approach that tension. I'm excited to see what how people fill in the spaces that are left open in that way, right? And I also know that I can, whenever that lightning strikes again, if I want to just design a new hollow, like I can, there's nothing stopping me. Yeah. And having that sort of supplementary afterlife for a project is really interesting and exciting too, because since I do so much focus on print, it's not something I give a ton of thought to. And in the last month, I've given all of my design energy into supporting releases that have already been made public and just adding new stuff to them. And it's felt really good and different and interesting. So um, I already have some plans for more hollow design for Babes in the Wood, even after the book comes out. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. Um, I think that you can tell that I, I based a lot of like the show's version of the woods out of like growing up in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we have like, you know, possums and, and mushrooms and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, in the part of the in the part of this episode that we totally didn't record, you know, before this, uh, because it comes after uh, I, I talked to you even briefly about how I sort of like, um, like based pots based uh, tattered mammalian loosely on pots field in the show, but also like in the literal very rural town where I grew up and where it's like a main street that has like a bandstand and area for everyone to sit and everything like that. So yeah, that was sort of like my experience uh, coming through and sort of like applying my own like this is like what I know to be like a sort of like magical fun woods from when I was growing up and being able to you know, slap her own spin on it. I even like Green Ivy Station in my head, it was like the Cuyahoga Scenic Railroad train station. Yeah. <laughs> it was based like directly off of that. Like mm -hmm. that's what I was describing. Um, 
Yeah. But when you were coming up with hollows, you really were focused in on the aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was very focused on the aesthetic. Um, like, can we do bug people? Yeah, I'm like, I want to do bugs. <laughs> I want to do a train. Um, <laughs> you want to do scarecrows. You yeah, want to do candy. Yeah, just because I thought, like, most of that stuff was, like, cute and fun. She just so. brainstormed a list of, like, stuff that was vaguely Halloween, vaguely fall, vaguely pastoral. And then just sort of three darts at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very pleased with how, like, the show came out and how everyone sort of, like, responded to it. Um, yeah. I tried to also give, like, sort of, like, vague hints with the setting about, like, what was going on, like, with uh, with the spider being, like, an orb weaver, which is um, a, a type of spider that you can find a lot of places, I guess, but we have a lot of orb weavers in our windows. It's just, like, a harmless little spider that makes these, like, nice webs and stuff. It's not going to, like, hurt you or anything. Um, and then having, like, the ivy at Green Ivy Station be this sort of, like, invasive plant that really, like, digs its roots into stuff and, like, destroys structures and things like that. Um, I don't know if that was getting, like, way too abstract for anyone to pick up on, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how I was thinking about things. Um... So yeah, let's get to uh, another question. Um, we've sort of like hit on this a little bit. Uh, this is another one from our friend Cliff. Um, when conceptualizing the system for the game, what were some of the initial concepts that, end that ended up on the cutting room floor? Which we've hit on a little bit, but it might be nice to talk about in more detail. Yeah, I. the biggest thing, well, there are a lot of things, um, especially between first and second edition because first edition as i mentioned being the first thing that i published or first role-playing game that I, I published um has a much uh shallower lexicon to pull from um because i just had read and played fewer games so my understanding of how they worked was lesser um frankly a lot of the stuff in the first edition is ported from uh dungeon world and the original like first edition apocalypse world and i would just name the move something else um but i i wasn't necessarily designing moves whole cloth whereas second edition some of that dna is still there but i tried to design every single move from scratch or from more modern influence uh so i think there's innately a lot of move structure that ends up on the cutting room floor. I actually um, have my notebook at my desk now from when I made the first edition, which is so super weird because I'm not like an archivist or someone who uh, protects the th those sort of things. But I have like all my early notes on like what Babes in the Wood. Uh, was gonna be. I actually want. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna open it real quick. Cause there's some fun stuff, um, like all the other other titles that the game was gonna have, like uh, Into the Unknown, which is really obvious. It's also I, I think it's the name of the first episode of the show. Um, and Harvest Melody was another one that even now I'm like, I should make a different game called Harvest Melody. That's a really that good is, title. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there's a lot. So, so the other main thing, and I'll highlight this, um, that post first edition, the big cut was was combat. Um, it just didn't make sense to me to have this game where we play kids, 
where the problems that we face are bigger than us, not just literally, um, metaphorically, why would we like hit stuff with swords, right? And this is part of the baggage that comes from being a less experienced designer four years ago and also using combat forward systems as my foundation for what I was making. So I completely did away with any moves that involved you hitting something. And I think that's like a really novel. I don't know if you noticed in play or if it's just hopefully kind of invisible, but the move lists and the spe- the basic move list and the special moves for each of the classes function as this toolkit so that you as players go, oh, here are the things that I can do that are impactful to the game. And um, by not including a hit uh, move, you as players, whether you're aware of it or not, don't consider that to be one of the ways that you solve problems. And I think that was yeah, that a really important ph- philosophical shift between uh, the first and second edition. And I, I hope that that's, I hope that it's made clear enough without being like in your face about it in the second edition. And also I hope that I, I don't think the game suffers by excluding that, that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that would make it more like it rather than like over the garden wall, you know, like try to throw right. rocks at the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Get into a knife fight with my inner demons. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can say, like, having played the game, um, I do think it was it wasn't immediately noticeable that there wasn't a combat option. But I think that that personally makes it a lot better because with so many games having combat options or being combat focused, um, it really is nice to play a game where that isn't the first option where you don't end up, um, I guess, just, as you said, like hitting the problem instead of like working together or like talking it out. And I don't know. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. There there are things in play that almost supplant violence. So there is like, um, the defend move. Um, Mm -hmm. the name doesn't come to me right away, but it's, not just for being attacked. It's also for like environmental hazard or anything you can do to sort of protect one another physically. And then there's also um, cause mischief, which is like the pranky move. Um, And it still functions as mostly as pranks. And I think that's fun. Like you have physical conflict in the game without it necessarily being violent. Like, someone stepping on a rake and having the rake handle come and hit them (laughs) is slapstick and it's funny. And that was another part of the game design is like, I want to imbue comedy in some of these moves, Um, which I'll tangentially say like the show is very funny. Like you all did, you all made it extremely funny, whether my moves successfully helped or not. (laughs) Um, And I think that's also the virtue of the, the game, the implied setting, and using these cartoons as as touchstones. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, imbuing kind of slapstick energy into any potential physical strife means it's not a game where no one ever gets hurt. And I think, too, I, I hope that harm is sort of made more clear as 
more is generally thought uh, i generally think of it more as like when your feelings are hurt but it could also be you twisted your ankle um which are again like not necessarily violent actions but they are physical actions um it was a it was a interesting balance to try to strike of removing violence from the game while still having a physical aspect and then what does it mean to pull a prank that someone could be harmed by like a a bucket falling on your head from a door or something which is the example in the book um like it might you know ring your clock but it's not going to make you bleed um and that was something that i needed to retain some energy right uh, of you having a physical existence in the setting um without necessarily feeling like you were uh at risk of yeah violence i guess i mean i'm i'm sort of talking in a circle but no no i i think what you're saying makes a lot of sense i mean if you like dig back to like the like the cartoon roots here like especially with like modern cartoons for children or at least the ones that i've seen which are like over the garden wall adventure time i guess we could put gravity falls in that bucket yeah um steven universe um like those shows really tend to it's not they don't have like physical stuff happening or like even like physical violence but it's that they tend to really focus on the physical as kind of like metaphor or extension of the Mm -hmm. internal totally so it's always very much like you know like the, the hero doesn't defeat the bad guys it's not really ever about the bad guys in a sense. Like it's always about the hero overcoming whatever their like internal insecurity is. that's like holding them back from beating the bad guy. Big time. And the like, bad guy just is almost like synonymous with like their internal problems. Like Finn in adventure time has a sword, but you're never going to see him stab someone with it. And he wouldn't want to because it's not the spirit yeah that he had this the sword is more a symbol of like his energy to be an adventurer yeah like the most you'll see is he'll like run in and like whack a few people at the beginning of an episode just to kind of like set it up but it's never like the focus and that's sort of like the difference i find kind of interesting from like um the like 80s and 90s saturday morning cartoons that like i grew up on versus like cartoons now and that was always the big criticism of those cartoons is that they were like uh hyper violence um and like you know people pearl clutched a little bit about what that meant for the kids but um yeah i I like that it's more of it's more of a clear metaphor of like what they're going through like what this battle actually is yeah i don't remember power rangers having like that much going on in the internal lives of the characters basically (laughs) was just a show of people who Climbed into robots and hit things. Yeah. Kimberly was also a gymnast, but... (laughs) Um, So, yeah. um, I think that um, we can get into our last question here, and then, like, final thoughts, and then after plugging stuff to sort of, like, round out the episode. Um, This is an easy one from our friend uh, Chelsea. Well, hopefully it's an easy one. Um, What is your favorite move? Um, We also answered this in the episode the uh segment that's going to be at the end of this which we totally didn't record before all of this but (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm actually gonna pull up i'm gonna pull the text up because i know i won't be able to pull one out of my pocket 
<laughs> um, that seems fair. So one of them is a basic move, and it's a um, use your catchphrase. And I think that actually <laughs> might have come up later in in development because this was one of those examples I mentioned of I need I I almost need to codify how to make the game funny. And mm-hmm. okay. I, I don't know if Reggie's O Sticks was using this move or if it just was a really natural uh, entertaining thing that came up. Uh but I don't think Reggie's was. I, I, there was a lot of stressing behind the scenes about what everyone's catchphrase would be, but I think that <laughs> Rogers was uh, Odell saying "poggers" was the only one that was like intentional <laughs> as a catchphrase, and then everyone else just sort of like fell into catchphrases like Reggie's, like "oh sticks" and uh, "posies." It's time to investigate. Yeah, I think having that as a move that's purely just a reward for doing it like there's no dice or anything it's just when you do this um i can't remember if you gain xp or you gain a wish but basically you just you're only rewarded for doing your catchphrase um nice it there's no risk involved it's just a fun thing and when you play multiple sessions or like the show um having them recur even if you get the other players to roll their eyes like that is funny, right? Like if you yeah. if your catchphrase <laughs> is so corny or bad, um, that is funny in like a meta textual way. Uh, the other thing I think, and, and this was one that came up a lot on the show, is the little kids move to step up. Um, so the text is when you present yourself to folks as a leader, a diplomat, or other authority figure, you roll plus mush, and. I think Posey did an exceptional job with this and uh, <laughs> was really fun to watch it in action because it is, again, codified into not just Over the Garden Wall, but all of those shows of a kid doing what they think an adult does, which is different than what an adult actually does. And so there's there's this like there's humor built into it. But there's also just sort of a purity, like the little kid, you as players are reminded in those moments of the little kids, both immaturity and their desire to be perceived as mature, which is such a kid thought, right? Like kids want to be equals with adults. um, And you have this irony at play with that move that is just like, what you're doing is funny and sometimes when you roll really well and you get an adult to treat you like an adult like that's just a really cool feeling too so mm-hmm. um i think that there, there's a lot there's um the the toy has a really neat move called sense intention and i'll i'll again like brief it because the toy wasn't part of the show um but when someone lies or attempts to manipulate you you can see the true intent in their heart and um, what you do with that information is kind of restricted by the move text. Um, it's not one that you roll dice for. It just when someone is messing with you, you know, and you know what they, why they're doing it. Um, again, this kind of like a toy would have this insight on human behavior because it exists outside of human behavior. Um, and I think it has this really interesting interaction with the fictional world and thusly how they interact with their other player characters. Um, there's, I mean, I'll be honest, the move set on second edition, I'm proud of 
pretty much all of them. <laughs> I think that it's a much more novel experience to play and to read, really, um, especially compared to the first edition. But I think now I really sharpened the focus of what it is to play Babes in the Wood to get any anyone playing in good faith to have the experience that I'm trying to explain, which is, as you all said, you know, the the confronting your own emotions and becoming stronger friends and working together in those sort of kid energies. I think the moves yeah. for the most part all really well support that theme. That's cool. That's a pretty good pitch. People Thank you. Go, go buy the game. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <neat. laughs> yeah, I, I think that answers a lot of my questions. It was really interesting to uh to listen to you talk about everything with like how the game develops and everything like that. Um so let's go into the plugs. Uh, everyone sort of like plug their stuff. Uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Adam? Um, where can we find like Babes and all the other different amazing games that you've worked on? Sure. Uh, Babes in the Wood is still up for pre-order at babesinthewood.backerkit.com until um, like the middle of May. So the books are on their way to me. I'm just as patiently as I can be which is not very patiently waiting for them to arrive. And then all the Kickstarter backers, all the backer kit backers um, will get it shipped right away. So, so people should have it in their hands um, in about a month. Uh, all of my other games and babes in the wood, if you're hearing this after May, 2021 uh, is available at worldchamp.io. Uh, that's my website, my home base that links to all of my socials and my Patreon, my mailing list, uh, everything else, uh, worldchamp.io uh, is is the the hub for all of my games. Uh, so the other people on this were uh, Caitlin, me, Fiona, and uh, and Tom. And you will get to hear us talk a little bit more in the second part of this episode, where we sit down uh, also with uh, Roger and Nick, who played Odell and Reggie, and talk about some of the other questions that we got in some more uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. So um, if there's nothing else, thank you all for listening to this part. And in a second here, you're going to be into the cast part of this special retrospective episode. And welcome to the second half of our special Fables Around the Table Lost Retrospective. Um, in our first segment, you heard me and Tom, as well as game designer Adam Voss. And in this one, we are with our cast. Um, so we have Roger Page, Caitlin Camp, and Nick Arasiva, who played, who played um, Odell, Reggie, and Posey, respectively. Um, say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I like that. <laughs> everyone. That's, uh, that's when we do the uh, version where Roger plays a bunny. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. every bun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Fiona, and I do I do have to say that that segment um, before with Adam was very insightful, and we all listened mm -hmm. to it, and it absolutely happened before this. Yeah, yeah. we heard that before yeah. we did this. <laughs> 
We record everything in order. Um, (laughs) I agree with everything that was said in the first part, and everybody made very salient points. Yeah, Mm -hmm. full endorsement. Um, (laughs) 10 out of 10 would listen again. Yeah. And uh, you might also hear our cat Mia on this because specifically during like Uncharted and the retrospective episodes for Fables, she really likes to like yell at us um, and be on the call. She's pretty good during most of the other episodes, but those ones specifically, she likes to be really loud during for whatever reason. Um, So I think you just introduced our cat, but not me. Oh my god. In order of Tom, importance. Tom, when did you get Tom. here? Tom, Holy it's shit. an order of importance. <laughs> that's fair. Well, no, then Mia will be first. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Tom is also here. This is why I have to write stuff down. <laughs> Tom is also here. I'm used to Tom not being on the calls, honestly. Like, I'm used to him being this sort of, like, silent observer. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tom. You're good. I just thought it was funny. Our entire audience was just the Dwight Schrute fuck meme as soon as Tom said something. (laughs) I don't know how you could forget Tom when you just were having a conversation with him right before this. Just right before this. Yeah, just right before this. Aren't you in the same room? Yeah, Yeah. we're sitting next to each other on our our couch in our living room. You're just like, pretend Tom Tom isn't here. He just phased yeah. out of existence for a second. Well, I, I think it's like it's like you know dinosaur sight or whatever because I see Mia like walking around our living room and Tom is just like sitting still next to me, so I just like forgot he existed. Uh, so you heard it here first. Fiona is a T Rex. Yeah. Hi, Mia. Um, so yeah, Tom is also here. Our cat is here. Um, Cleo's here. Cleo's. My here. cats are here somewhere. Yeah, my Luna's dog is also here. here. Fred the, and Stormy are here. The extended cast. Yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. our silent producers, all of our pets, and Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Mia did get the funniest joke, I think, in the last episode. And when um, during the mid roll in episode six, I said, now for a word from our sponsors, and she meowed really loudly. Um, <laughs> but um are you guys ready to talk about lost the 2004 american the 2004 american drama series yes i actually saw someone posting about lost that version today and i'm like so did did i did we will this meme into existence (laughs) yeah because we talked about lost extensively on the void fair uncharted episode as well Mm -hmm. so yeah (laughs) We're just a lost. I, I've still, now. I've still never seen Lost. <laughs> Neither have I. Me either. <laughs> None of us. Have. No, Roger is no, a big I have, Lost fan. I have fan. definitely oh, okay. watched yeah. Lost. Roger has lost. definitely seen Lost. Yeah, no, that was one of the shows me and my mom bonded over when I was younger. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So let, let's get into some questions here. Um. The. Our, our retrospective episodes are sort of like loose form us talking about stuff hopefully related to the show but sometimes not and also answering some audience questions um i don't know if we'll be able to get to every single cast question because there are a lot uh but we will hopefully get to enough of them to sort of get the feel of the questions that we get 
So Mia is settled into her bed, sort of. She's sort of, like, half up, which I think means that if I stop petting her, she's going to run away and be loud. Um, So who wants to take the first question? We have a number of questions for all of us. We have questions for us in, like, different groups. Um, what What should we start with? What should we kick off our conversation with who wants to talk <laughs> uh i don't know you're the host <laughs> uh, nick you're the worst uh let's it's what i'm here I'm just for. teasing That's right nick, nick is our punching bag yeah I, i'm a little bit <laughs> a lot of it <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's start with a question that's, um, directed towards everyone, like the the three of you, Roger, Caitlin, and Nick. Um, so this, this is a question that two people asked various variations of. Um, so Kitty, what Kitty, who is on our, uh, Tainted Love season asked is, um, who's everyone's favorite NPC and what Cliff who was on Firelight and Chronicle asked, um, who's everyone's favorite scarecrows and why are they Cedar and Cinder? So (laughs) the question I guess is like favorite NPCs, but specifically also scarecrows. Who'd you like? And why is it Cedar and Cinder? (laughs) I I think Cliff is uh, leading the witness here. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Cliff did play both Cedar and Cinder. And uh, told me after the fact that he based the voices on Patrick and Squidward from Spongebob, because Spongebob is apparently, like, the driving force of all of our creativity. (laughs) He really is. He's also the driving force behind the Lil Nas X Montero video, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, I think the other day when I was talking to Tom, uh, I, I was telling Tom the like, the like skin made of paper and bones made of glass bit, and I said it was from the Bard. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So. So who wants to go first? I said I was gonna go first, and then I realized I don't yet know what my answer to that is. So I'll have to think about it for a second. Um. I mean, if someone else wants to go, is what I is what I meant. No, we won't stay. Shit, no. We'll I've committed myself. Yeah, no, um, we'll wait for you. So, um, yeah, there's so many great NPCs. It's just so hard to pick. Um, I loved the spider, Silk. Silk, uh, yeah. Because yeah. she was just so creepy, and that was such a good episode. So like that that whole scene just resonates with me really well. Like even still, like I, even though like four episodes later through the rest of the campaign, like that that was like the moment where like shit got real for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I love it. And it was such a cool, creepy character. Um, and uh, I also love the uh, the the ticket ticker. Yeah. Damn it, Nick! Shut up! You're taking my answer, dude. <laughs> and and I really liked them. the Candy Witch, and I really mm. like. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn! What a scumbag. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Whoa. my favorite scarecrow was Adonis. Was Adonis? Mm-hmm. Who who played Adonis? That was Saker. That was our that friend was Saker. Saker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. 
I only I only like sent these people scripts and had them record lines. I don't know who they are. But yeah, that's our friend Seeker who plays uh Luckbeak on Tales of the Voidfarer and also he was um Elias on our first season of Curse uh mm-hmm. or first season of Fables. Uh Fables mm-hmm. around the table Curse. He played a different NPC. And he's a big lost simp according to himself. Yeah, he really on... does love Lost. Yeah. In 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 our uncharted episode, he he called himself a lost simp. So per per podcast, we can only have one person who's seen the 2004 America drama series Lost. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's more reasons why Saker and I are like distant friends. Like we 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 kind of like are like friends, but not really. (laughs) The vibes would be too strong. Yeah, Yeah, it's like Uh we can't be in the same space, you know. Roger, you got to come back up here for Con on the Cob. I do. And then, and then we'll just all hang out together. Yeah. Look at us exactly. plugging like what will potentially be another Project Derailed opportunity for fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick, the last part of that question is, why was your favorite Scarecrow's Cedar and Cinder? It, they're not. Fuck Cliff. Oh. No. <laughs> wow. Controversy. <laughs> Clip that. Ooh-wee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, Caitlin or Roger? Well, Nick took my answer and basically every answer possible, to be honest. He basically <laughs> rattled off like all of the NPCs. You made me go first. This is on you. You, you, can you get, volunteered. You can get the same person twice. <laughs> There's no law that says he can't have the same answer. Okay, yeah, so so yeah. the Rogers answer. Oh yeah, no, is I mean, the my is definitely the ticket taker. <laughs> no, 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 no. My answer is definitely the ticket taker for favorite NPC. Um, I also really liked Adonis. Um, but yeah, the ticket taker is my favorite because I think that I think I was most interested in um, getting to know that character, um, mm-hmm. just in general. That I think the other characters. They might there. There were definitely funnier characters. There were definitely characters who were more like colorful, maybe. But I think that um, that that character in particular was very interesting for me, um, at least to get to know more about and to um, kind of play around with. So yeah, I liked mm-hmm. that uh, NPC mm-hmm. the most, and um, I, I I like SpongeBob and Patrick. So I feel like that kind of comes across in those. So I guess that's the reason why I like those scarecrows. Because okay. I am a huge SpongeBob simp. <laughs> SpongeBob and Lost, the only two shows. The, yeah, the there's no other shows. shows. You guys have watched other shows? I watched the Amanda show. The Amanda oh, show. Shit. Mm, throwback. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm banking on our audience having being a like very millennials. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All our Gen Z listeners are just like, what? For for those who were born between like 1987 and 1994, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> Double finger guns coming right at you. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, what, what is your answer for that? I think I'm going to echo that it's really hard to choose out of all of them because I loved everybody so much, but I think... My favorite might have been, like, on the top tier is the Candy Witch. Mm. (laughs) And then 
the scarecrows as a collective. Oh, okay. Like okay. many heads of the same body, sort of a, a scarecrow yeah. situation. Nightmare scarecrow. But <laughs> uh, I also just, what has kept coming back from like not necessarily like prominent NPCs, but all of the little mushroom people. Oh, I did mm. like the mushrooms. I was going to also comment that fancy. I really liked them. They were being things. very fancy. Yeah, I liked them yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, will, I will say the background for the mushrooms was that I had a, like, free associated list of just, like, fall things that I could pull from if I needed to, like, improvise something. And the mushrooms were on there solely because of Animal Crossing, because that's the November seasonal event in Animal Crossing is mushrooms. So I'm like, November is basically Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) This is how the sausage gets made, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what's the name of that guy in the Scooby-Doo adaptation that has the same last name as Scooby? And he's like, were you saying me? Like, that's basically the mushrooms in this one for me, of like a random scene that you just love dearly. And you're like, I love these characters, but they're in this for like two seconds and I'm like, <laughs> i want to follow that guy home now <laughs> see what the mushrooms are doing with little tea yeah party. like yeah. are like do they go around every day like just panicking that things aren't fancy enough in that like, <laughs> like i just love it yeah the other sort of like piece of peek behind the curtain there is uh the episode before, I think we had gotten, like, the same prompt, which was basically that they, like, come across a little uh, a little thing in the woods that the, that makes them, like, stop. And that was with the frogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom had sort of told me after that he thinks I should have, like, lingered on it. Be- I, and, I, and I do agree with this. What I did was I sort of was like, oh, yeah, there's this thing, but it also leads, like, directly into the hollow. So he's like, you should, like, linger on that and let them, like... Um, play with the scene a little bit more so with the mushrooms i really wanted to have something uh interesting and also pulling from some alice in wonderland influences that i had i I thought that a tea party would be really fun makes sense yeah Yeah, for sure yeah did we did we get around to everyone unless tom had something you wanted to add for that one i guess i was gonna say the mushroom people yeah yay Mm -hmm. they're my fave yeah i i liked yeah, I like the mushroom people. I'm I'm trying to think if I had like a favorite NPC. Um I thought that Silk was was pretty interesting and I thought that I was going to have to um come up with more for her like in the moment than actually like happened because I I was like she's not like evil like the the fiend's whole thing is that um is that they're trying to like draw out people's sort of like worse influences so really with all of uh weaver's willow i thought that there was going to be more with who these people really are that we didn't um that we didn't quite get to so i would so yeah i think that uh just sort of like in my mind those are the npcs who like stick out but that does lead me into a question that I had for me since we talked about the ticket takers so much. Um, Kitty asked us specifically about the ticket takers' backstory and if we could know more about the ticket taker. Um, so the ticket taker did, in fact, have a name. His name, I think, was Noah. Um, and yeah, he. How I sort of imagined him is that this was like 
in the context of the story, he sort of gets lost in the same way that Odell and Posey get lost. Like, I even imagine him actually, like, being from the same neighborhood, but I was imagining this sort of happening in, like, uh, in, like, the late 1980s, early 1990s that this happened to him, where he gets lost um, because he doesn't have other people around him to sort of, like, encourage him. He's just sort of, like, alone in the woods. And when the fiend comes to him and gives him this directive, he doesn't really have a reason to say no because he's, like, he's scared and doesn't know what else to do. And, um... What I really wanted was to show what happens when you get sort of, like, trapped in the woods, what happens when you give in to those, like, influences of the fiend, um, and it was basically that he was stuck there waiting for something that would never arrive, and in this sort of, like, black hole of, uh, of, like, depression and anxiety about moving on, he was, like, sucking other people in, um, so yeah, that was sort of like my backstory for the ticket taker, a lot of which I think came out during during gameplay other than his name. But yeah, I think that when Odell and Posey sort of like helped him, and that was a big theme that I wanted uh, to come up during the show was like helping your friends and things like that. When they were able to, able to help him, they were able to sort of like break the cycle and bring him back out into the real world where he is presumably able to reunite with his family and everything. So yeah, that's his backstory. Nice. And yeah. I have to say, Tan Tanner did a really good job um, mm -hmm. as the ticket taker. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Tanner, who is uh, Marco Storio on Tales of the Lloyd Fair, uh, did uh, did uh, did the ticket taker for us. I think he did a really good job. He was so cute. <laughs> I, li <laughs> I like the ticket taker a lot. Um, the other sort of, like, backstory with the Ticket Taker was I sort of always knew that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to include another kid that they would come across, like, another, like, actual person who got lost in the woods, and my original idea was that I was going to have one of the scarecrows be, like, a person dressed as a scarecrow, um, mm. But then, like, by the time we got to the train episode, I was like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't really know how to fit this in. So we adjusted it so that it was the ticket taker. But yeah, that's how he, he got made. For for an update on something nobody asked for, the, the character's name in the Scooby-Doo movie that had the same name as Scooby was Melvin Dew. Melvin Dew. Melvin Dew. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the inventor of Mountain Dew? Uh... No, like, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> I hate Tom. That's fair. No, we love each other. No. <laughs> Earlier this very episode, Nick said, fuck Cliff. So. <laughs> um. <laughs> but I said uh, it with love. No, he meant that. <laughs> yeah, but I said it with love. Uh, fair enough, I guess. It's complicated. Yeah. It cancels uh, out. Yeah, I I am actually going to throw a question to Tom. Um, what? this is from Cliff again because Cliff asked us most of these questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Cliff asked, uh, "How much refinement did you assist with in the context of the story, and how does that compare to the work you do with Nick on Voidfair?" Um, the sort of backstory here is that. On on my seasons of Fables and on Tales of the Voidfarer, Tom sort of helps us, like, uh, create the story, like, 
in this sort of like background sense like we don't really record him on the show at all but tom is like there helping us along every step of the way yeah i would say it's like a pretty different dynamic um with Voidfair, like nick and i really are hashing out pretty aggressively to nail down the details of the episodes um and we spend a lot of time there like looking at, like, the world-building, the logic of the world, and really, like, going through different characters and their motivations. Um, Void Fairy definitely has, like, an iceberg effect where there's, like, a kind of a big chunk of it that doesn't really get surfaced, or at least takes a long time. Um, mm-hmm. With, at least, like, the way Fiona and I work with Fables, um, Fiona's approach is much more thematic, so she's always coming at it with, like, interesting, like, themes that she wants to get across and really what we're trying to do is take the theme and spin it into like just enough narrative to get it across but we're not really focused a lot on like the internal logic of things as much so i would say that overall what i do is a lot less um and what i help fiona with the most is just kind of like figuring out those like conflict engines to get the story running because usually like what'll happen is we'll be talking and I'll think we're, like, a quarter of the way through. And then Fiona will be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then she'll go off and just do the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which works just fine for me. <laughs> um, but, but it is very different. And it is, like, most of what I'm doing there is, like, helping kind of, like, put the very initial bones on the episode structure. Just because I tend to be, like, very structural in my approach to games whereas fiona tends to be so theme oriented Uh, whereas i think nick and i both tend to have more of those structural bones so we kind of really riff on that pretty hard (laughs) yeah well and i think it also makes sense that like the context of voidfare is that it's a large long-running campaign so it makes sense that we kind of have a lot under the hood that doesn't always show up because it may down the road. Um, So it does benefit us to flesh stuff out in advance. And it oftentimes does come up. And I think it really leaves everything feeling really cohesive and like a real world, which I think Mm -hmm. is a big appeal of something like Void Fair. It's a very like world building oriented story. Yeah. um, Rather than a story that's really, focused on like one or two themes and the world is just kind of there like fables Mm -hmm. especially plays out more like parable than like a really like strong world but like each hollow is really there to like convey a concept and an idea yeah um, and more like a fairy tale style i'm very much i mean it's it's modeled on a children's show so it makes sense that it has like a very like childlike sensibility there Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Um, for sort of, like, context as to, like, the kind of things that Tom helps with, like, I think that the best example is when we were coming up with the overarching story, and I I told Tom that what I wanted to do was have the story be them, like, collecting pieces to get their way out of the woods. Like, I didn't, like, the beginning was going to be point A, and the end was going to be point B, and I wanted reasons for them to explore and get around, and it was going to sort of be like, um, like, the Wizard of Oz 
sort of thing where it's like, oh, it was really with you the whole time, but you needed to like go on this journey to realize that. And Tom was the one who came up with like, what if they're like collecting um, instruments and things like that? Because my first thought was like map, but I thought that that was like way too on the nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I really liked that we went the music route because um, that helped me a lot with the sound design and things like that to sort of be able to think about things kind of like uh, diegetically. Yeah, it's just that it's just that quest from from New Donk City in Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, you know? I know. I was I was so mad when Nick pointed that out that it was just like New Donk City and Super Mario Odyssey. I'm just like, God damn it! That was a good quest, though. It was a good quest. That was, one, what, yeah. that was one of my favorite parts of that game. I was I was yeah. really mad. <laughs> well, I've never played it, so that, this is nice. I get a taste of it, I guess. Something else that I wanted to really dive into because Caitlin promised mm. at the end of episode six, what <laughs> is Posey's full name? So Posey's full name is actually not surprise, surprise, Posey Drew Fisher. But her <gasps> name is actually <laughs> her name's actually Persephone Sterling. Um and I ended up arriving at Posey drew fisher for several reasons one because i wanted her to have a shorter like younger sounding name um but also because i figured that when she was little she would have had trouble pronouncing persephone and if i broke it down enough you know it it ended up becoming something more along the lines of posy so posy she became and then um i think this kind of goes into some more of the like what else inspired you besides the over the garden wall um the other things that i personally felt inspired by for posy um being a detective was um i figured that she would have favorites um media detectives and other lady detectives so she actually pulled the rest of her name from nancy drew and from um the Honorable Miss Friny Fisher from Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Mm, Very nice. That's cute. Yeah. Um, but that kind of leads me into uh, some questions for Roger. Um, one that I have, which you don't have to answer, is um, what did Odell talk about with his mom? And also sort of extending that from Kitty um, do you have any additional thoughts on how high school went for Odell and does he end up going to like college or a trade school or something? Um, so what did they talk about? I think, um, I think it's, it's kind of fun not knowing exactly what they talked about, but mm -hmm. I think, I think the, the main takeaway I think is that, for Odell, a big part of his, um, what I wanted to do with him is take someone that's kind of um, closed off and um, learn to be more um, emotionally vulnerable, I guess, over the course of the show um, and kind of um, mature a little bit in his emotional intelligence, I think, over the course of the show. And so um, I think that he kind of wanted to touch on um, some feelings of anger he has towards his mom 
um, but also like framing it around and coming back to, you know, that um, love he has um, still um, at the end of the day as well, because that is also a part of being emotionally intelligent is being in tune with all of your emotions, not just anger, which for a lot of young men in particular and young men of color, um, you know, you're only told that you're allowed to be angry at things. Um, and so that was something that I think I kind of took just from my own experience growing up and wanted to put that in the character. Um, so I think that that was important for me, um, to kind of tie that kind of thematic thing, um, for him into that. Um, and how does high school go for him? I think that, I think that he ends up finding like his, his niche, um, you know, I think that he ends up uh, just feeling more confident in himself and um, having a small group of friends that, you know, make him feel, um, you know, listened to and a part of the group. And um, I think that he still continues to see Posey and babysit for a while um, and then eventually gets another job um, doing something else in high school. Um, probably fast food, to be honest with you, just because he wants to mm-hmm. do something that's easy. Yeah, um, like classic high schooler job. Yeah, yeah, you know, classic high schooler thing where it's just kind of soulless fast food. He does his time. And um, I, I'm not sure if he would actually go to college. I'm not sure what he would want to go for. See, now that's just raising a whole other question of what would he want to major in if he goes to college? Mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to save that for the spinoff series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lost two. <laughs> <laughs> the college years. <laughs> yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the it's like the it's it's the grown ish of Lost. Um, that actually leads nicely into another kitty question: Is uh, after the fact, do they ever try to contact each other, like Reggie to uh, Odell and Posey, and vice versa? Hmm. Hmm. Nick, how about you go first? (laughs) Can I come up with a super out there canon out of nothing? (laughs) Go ahead, Tom. So here's my completely out of nowhere head canon, which is that one day Odell and Posey put a like a note in a bottle and just like drop it in the creek in the woods. And then Mm. that does make its way to Reggie. And then they maintain a correspondence by sending messages in a bottle through the creek for many years. That's both... cute. And then, like, uh, Odell and Posey eventually move away. But they come back once a year. Aww. Here's how the scene plays mm-hmm. out, though. Reggie's, like, on the side of the creek, and he sees the bottle. And he looks at it curiously and picks it up and sees there's a note inside. He excitedly uncorks it and gets it out and gasps and looks at the camera and says, I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I figured about halfway through you saying that where that one was going. <laughs> he goes and finds a friend to, to help him. Yeah. Probably Horton. Yeah, Horton knows how yeah. to read somehow. Sure. He's yeah. an owl. Of course he does. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I feel like I feel like uh uh the the agency on uh contacting Reggie is on Odell and Posey. I don't think there's a whole lot Reggie can do from inside the woods. That you know of. Would mm. Reggie try? I don't know. I don't know that he would. Because I don't I, like I don't think that like I think he, he would trust that like 
you guys could would come back to visit if you could. Because he, he, he already decided to stay, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he just has so like little understanding of what the outside world is that I don't know if it would even occur to him that it'd be possible to communicate anyway, you know? We're going to have like the, the hook, like, you know, like how <laughs> hook is to Peter Pan. Like we're going to have like, mm-hmm. like Posey's like grandkids coming and visiting Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Reggie lives forever. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how, that, that's sort of how I had, like, envisioned the woods was, like, um, when the Harvest Festival happens and when those lines between the real world and, like, the woods are blurred, um, they sort of, like, absorb what's forgotten in the real world. So they, um, and also, like, the fiend is, like, attracting, attracting, uh, you know, people with, like, darkness in them into the woods to sort of, like, get lost. Um, but, yeah, I was sort of imagining, uh, I think in the trailer I described it as, like, scarecrows in forgotten fields and, like, you know, discarded, like, Halloween buckets and stuff like that were sort of, like, a being absorbed into the woods where they could take on um like a life of their own basically and live in this like uh magical halloween world like they're gonna like you know toy story it or something (laughs) that was Mm. sort of like how i uh and i'm not saying that that's canon to how uh to how the game works because i don't think that that's like the intention but that's how i sort of like thought of the world working yeah i think that makes sense and and i don't i think we saw like toy like a toy in passing but like yeah the frankenstein was a toy yeah 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 so like toy people are very much like a thing in the woods so like yeah that's actually a class you can play you can play uh woods people and toys yeah Mm -hmm. so maybe maybe toys that are lost and get absorbed into the woods like gain life yeah yeah it's sort of Mm -hmm. like the velveteen rabbit i guess if we're doing other Mm -hmm. like literary references like the velveteen rabbit Uh is is what's going on here got it that book made me really sad as a kid that book also made me really sad and i was (laughs) sort of wondering like why someone would like tell me this horrifying story? <laughs> I think it's good for kids to hear horrifying stories. Yeah, that's that's sort of thing. I was like very like most old fairy tales are like very horrifying, yeah, just as a, as a that's, genre. That's sort of like to go back to an earlier question. That's sort of like something that I tried to think about because I was really afraid of like I I didn't want to make this season like four kids and four kids only but I, I thought it would be weird to like have a season about kids that kids couldn't like feasibly listen to um so I tried to keep it like relatively child friendly and what I sort of like struggled with which everyone sort of pushed me and like you're like well within uh what I think would be reasonable is I didn't want to make it like too scary or like too horrifying um like for kids to listen to but i think that we stayed well within you know yeah, i mean kids media is fun oh yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean like I mean, looking back some of the stuff we watched in the 90s over the garden for sure. wall yeah. i mean just over the garden wall like, yeah. Yeah. Over the garden yeah. wall itself mm-hmm. is already a pretty dark show yeah yeah so that was my sort of like a uh, motivation there but yeah I I was a very fearful child. I really like scary stuff, but I was extremely like afraid of things. Oh yeah, no, I cried constantly as a kid. I was scared of uh, everything. 
Aww. Yeah, I would I would watch um, Are You Afraid of the Dark every day after school, and I would get so frightened by it that my parents made me stop mm-hmm. watching it, so I get yeah. so scared of it. Yeah, more millennial bait. I was scared of Goosebumps. Mm, yeah, yeah. I did not really watch TV growing up, so most of the things that <gasps> like people reference, I'm usually relatively clueless about. Um, and I spent a lot of my time reading, so I have the, for, like, scary things that I super remember, like, reading about instead of seeing, um, which, of course, I'm going to blank on the names of them. Was it, like, scary stories to tell in the dark? Oh, Oh, yeah. With the the pictures and the... Yeah. They ended up making a pretty terrible movie adaptation of it. Yeah, I was disappointed I that it looked it. that bad. Also, not a surprise. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I ended up watching it. It's it's awful. It's not we'll good. To, okay. We'll have to watch Extreme Pile. But yeah, I love <laughs> those books. But I was so terrified of them at the same time. Yeah, no. If you if you want me to to guest on that episode, yo, I'm down. Noted. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one Coraline really scared me as a child too. The movie is so cute, but I was terrified of the book. But... I still haven't seen the movie. Again, on, on theme here, but the book was super good, and I really liked the book. Mm-hmm. Nice. So many, there's so many literary references. I watched entirely too much television as a child, so, like, any any 20th century sitcom I've probably, like, seen. <laughs> but not mm-hmm. the 2004 American drama series Lost. I've not seen that. <laughs> How dare you? I think another, like, reference that I guess kind of, like, it, I mean, it's... it's it, I would say it's less like direct, I think, for like my character or anything. But I was also like watching um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina like around this time. And I think like it seeped in a little bit with just like having like that teenager kind of storyline and just again, like kind of thinking like how do like modern teenagers, like how are they written in media and and how do they come across Um, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, I think that Chilly Adventures of Sabrina is a pretty good example of, like, what I was trying to do with, like, insert a retro aesthetic into sort of, like, um, modern characters and, like, how uh, modern characters and mo- modern archetypes would, like, approach situations. So, yeah, because that, that's very, like, uh, they have, like, a real, like, 50s thing going on on Chilly Adventures mm-hmm. of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you all another question. This is from Cliff. Um, how close were each of your characters to giving in to the fiend? I mean, I think, I, I think like Reggie probably like if it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't due to like the the time he spent with Odell and Posey probably would have just like instantly folded and submitted just out of like sheer like fear and cowardice. Um, mm-hmm. But it was only kind of like after, you know, traveling with them and like the little lessons he learned along the way that he was able to stand up against the fiend the way he did, you know. What about Odell and Posey? I think that Odell was was, was fairly close. Um, again, I would say like it's similar to Reggie in many ways that like had the events of the story up until that point maybe not happened. Um I think that Odell would have found pretty much any reason for like anything's got to be better than what I'm currently kind of doing. Um, I think that Odell is just at the start of the story like uh, I mean he's basically depressed Um, and 
yeah, I think that he um, just gets, like, enough, I think, emotional, like, affirmation and that, like, life is worth, like, living and that there's, like, good people and, like, you can help people and then that can be satisfying for you and enriching for you and all of that. And so I think had these the events not happened up until that point, I mean, yeah, I would say that he would have been pretty much at risk of giving in to the fiend. I, I really thought that Odell was going to take the fiend's uh, deal in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I was like, th- there is a chance that he doesn't, but I think it is extremely mm-hmm. likely that Odell will give in. Um, yeah, and I that I mean, I was gonna let you do that and see how it plays out. My plan was basically like see what everyone else comes up with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he like he's like barely like leaning over it, I would say. Like it's not like he's like oh absolutely not like the fiend is full of crap or whatever, like right off the bat. But yeah. It was it's I, I would say he's he certainly wasn't just like super duper hard set against the fiend. Yeah, because he he seemed to me very much like he he understood how the fiend operated but also it was like extremely tempting to give in anyway um odell was an interesting character i liked odell a lot uh what about you caitlin i think had posy come into the woods by herself this would have been a very different situation for her um as she ends up with odell and with reggie both people that Uh, she ends up or had already been close with, uh, I think she perceived pretty quickly that the fiend wasn't somebody to be trusted because he was mean to her friends. And so while she might have been afraid, uh, she always had Odell and Reggie and then anybody else that was like willing to stand with them, which... I just, I am not sure what would have happened if she would have been alone, if that makes sense. Because, Uh and that's something that I've thought about too, like with her coming out of the woods, like say, like Posey off to college, where like, that's also a different thing where now, like she still has a support system, but at what point, I guess, does she find strength solely within herself rather than also like drawing strength from everybody else to prop hers up if that makes sense yeah now i want to go back and do an episode where i get all of you like alone the whole time and see what you do (laughs) (laughs) because like she is she is a little kid Mm -hmm. but i i guess i based her off of like basically some of the little kids that i knew growing up which is definitely not the kind of kid that i was because i was afraid to talk to people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and (laughs) There was always somebody who was willing to stand up to everybody else if they knew that, like, their friends would have their back. And Posey's definitely that kind of person. I think had the Fiend, like, insisted that she stay because she said she would even though she crossed her fingers, um, she would have understood that she made a promise Uh and might have tried to stay then. But also, she probably would have. I think at some point, what was it with the with Silk that where she just like screamed? Uh, there might have been some some more ta- more of a tantrum throwing moment <laughs> because you gotta. Let's throw a question to Nick. 
Um, what D&D class are each of the PCs? This one is from Cliff. As Saker said, mm. Cliff knows one thing about all of us. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what he'll ask questions about. Oh, that's hard. Um, huh. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think Posey is the easiest. I think Posey is the rogue inquisitive. Is that is the that inquisitor? A... Isn't that one of the background ones, or is it? Yeah, I think uh, the like subclass inquisitive. I think that's one of the sub the the subclasses from something. Me furiously googling. Oh, it's, yes, it's from Xanathar's Guide. Yeah, yes, yes. So, but that's the class that is like legit, just a detective. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, investigator. So inquisitive is what it's called it's inquisitive a rogue because they do have a background that is investigator Ooh, yeah so one yeah i think from sword coast adventures guide Mm -hmm. so odell odell could be a lot of different things but for whatever reason i'm kind of thinking like battle master fighter Mm, that makes sense i was going fighter for sure Yeah, yeah 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 Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't know with Reggie. Wild Magic Sorcerer? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Wild Magic Sorcerer for sure. Yeah. Um, let's go around and if you guys will answer your favorite hollow and favorite move, um, that's from uh, Kitty and Chelsea respectively. We can knock two questions out real fast. Oh, heck. Mm, my favorite hollow. Yeah, favorite hollow and favorite move. I'm probably going to need the the reference thingy again to look at the moves. Because I'm pretty sure I know which one it is, but I want to make sure I know what Um, it was called. Sweetsburg, hands down, my favorite. Sweetsburg is the best hollow, literally because of the name. Literally, it's because of the name. The name puts it up there for sure. Plus, it was also like the most different of all yeah. of the hollows. Yeah, it was it was like the most like yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. I, I really didn't want to make every single one pastoral, <laughs> um, because I think that that would be sort of like weird. Um I really wanted to make like a city for you guys to to see and explore. Um, what came first was did the name Sweetsburg come first and then that kind of inspired the more urban kind of vibe? No. No, Sweets- if you had an issue, you wanted a city. Yeah. No, I knew I oh, wanted a okay. city. And um, Tom and I were at the end of our planning session. Um, originally, I was not going to have the witch be in the city um, until Tom was uh-huh. like, she's sort of like the ruler of the city. And I'm like, I, I do kind of like that, um, that she was in like a castle and everything. Um but uh, Sweetsburg came up like at the end, we would sort of like try to like name the hollows. And the first thing mm-hmm. Tom's comes up with is Sweetsburg, which he, which he said as a joke and I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we named it Sweetsburg. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Fiona, what was the one that you had talked about where you were like, I almost used this one and then didn't end up using it for the hollow name i think it was the alternate name for we talked about it instead of tattered amelia it would have been something else and now i can't remember what it was but oh cornhenge oh cornhenge Corn. yeah that was that was a joke that came up in the episode i, I wasn't ever gonna name it cornhenge but that, it needed to be cornhenge yeah oh it's so so goofy yeah <laughs> Tattered Amalian was based very heavily off of uh, Pottsfield, which is just like aesthetically my favorite episode in Over the Garden Wall. Um, I really like yeah. the the pumpkin guys. Yeah. But, yeah. 
<laughs> I, I literally googled other names for scarecrow and tatterdemalion is the word similar to ragamuffin um and i thought ragamuffin uh-huh. was like too on the nose so i'm like tatterdemalion yeah no it's a very good word and i think it works really well as a name because it's not a common word that people know yeah you know yeah. ragamuffin i think you're right like people have heard of it, that yeah you know tatterdemalion i thought was really good and uh-huh. I felt bad Plus it, because it sounds like a town name, you know. It does. Mm-hmm. And to everyone except Saker, I, I sent with our script a, a guide to saying Tatterdemalion, and I didn't with Saker, and he had to like go back and listen to the episode <laughs> to figure out how to say Tatterdemalion. <laughs> Ooh, it's a plot. <laughs> That's Saker. one way to get those numbers up. Yeah. Like, hey, listen back to the episode, dick. <laughs> give us those episode us clicks yeah <laughs> tattered Amalian, home of the harvest um yeah so let's have what moves do people like reggie did team up like all the time all the time that was yeah. his like go-to strat like yeah yeah so i that, that was gonna be my answer too just team up because t- teamwork is good mm-hmm that was wow. sort of like the moral here. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a, what a guy. Reggie knew it was up the whole time. He did. Okay, wow. I found the the one that I was thinking of for Posey, and it was uh, step up um, mm. when you present yourself as a leader, diplomat, or other authority figure. Yeah, that's how she became a lady detective. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I meant lady in the sense of she was she was knighted, not right. that she is right. she's female. <laughs> I realize right. that like listening back, I'm like it makes it seem like I'm like weirdly gendering Posey, but that's that wasn't my intention. <laughs> right. I think you can get that through the context. Yeah. Now, if we knighted more ladies, then maybe this would be uh you know yeah more well known. I don't really have like a favorite move. That's why I'm just like, um... does the wizard roll count as a move? Hmm. That's good. I, I do enjoy the woods roll. I thought the woods rolls were very fun. Yeah. I do in general like that like mechanic. I like that idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I do like the woods roll. Um, but I'm trying to think. I did like the... I liked catchphrase because I just thought that that was funny to like throw in a random thing um, uh-huh. with a catchphrase. <laughs> and so that's why I threw in poggers. Uh-huh. Um, and... All of that, and I also think kind of like speaks a little bit to uh, his character in that I, I don't think he really he really understands Poggers <laughs> like um, at at his age, but he's like that's what the cool gamers say, and I want to be <laughs> cool. So oh, um, I think that's very much like why he's kind of like Poggers, and it's it doesn't even really make like that much sense. Um, like when he uses it, but he just decides to throw it in. But yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of like catchphrase. Uh, what's your favorite hollow, Tom? My favorite hollow, Tattered a Million. Tattered a Million. I like the vibes. Yeah. Cause I know you just said like Pottsfield, but in my head, it's almost more like, like I'm reminded of back when I was, especially because there's like the bandstand, like, when I was playing in the uh, community band back in Youngstown, we would go to like all these little towns all over the area mm-hmm. and like play at the local bandstand at like festivals and things. Mm-hmm. So it very much like had 
that feel of like a small town but with like a cool like little town center yeah with a bandstand yeah i i grew up in like a little small town like that that had like the main street was centered around like a place you could sit and like you know a band could play and like the little bandstand everything like that so that also probably informed my aesthetic <laughs> my aesthetic choices there I will say that my favorite hollow was uh, was Green Ivy Station. I really liked that one. Um, my original intention actually was that you guys were going to get on the train. And as I thought about it, I'm like, I think it's actually interesting if the train never arrives. But I was going to sort of yeah. do like an infinity yeah, train like thing where like uh-huh. the train never ends and you're going through it and like talking to different people there. Um, but it like felt weird to try to like fit the hollow mechanics and everything into that um so Mm -hmm. i was just like it's just going to be the station Mm -hmm. i like it It, it, i mean because it also felt very you know very alice in wonderland very Mm -hmm. fairy tale-y that like it's the train that never arrives there's something oddly sinister about it yeah yeah Yeah. but i but i really dug it um Mm-hmm. And and I like the the way you paced it out really well too because it's like we get there and we just like everyone's waiting for the train and like that's not weird but then like mm-hmm. as we continue talking to people we start realizing that like like how long wait how waiting here, long actually? have you all been here mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and it's a very slow burn to that realization that like the train isn't coming. Uh, mm-hmm. And it plays out so well across the entire episode. Aww. I think you did a really good job planning it and very good job like pacing it out in the episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I was toying with the idea of as you're leaving, the train does arrive and you can sort of decide <laughs> if you get on it. But Tom was like, no, don't don't have there ever be a train. Um, I, I like that we did it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, that would have been that would have been kind of funny, though. <laughs> yeah. There was like a guy that just like comes up and he's just like. All right, last train to. Oh, wait. I guess no <laughs> one's here. Yeah, yeah. I, I that would have been like too much of a. That would have undercut yeah. the 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 central theme yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I so, almost yeah. would have felt like the the bus in rock bottom rock bottom in that spongebob episode where it's like all right now everybody leaves and then we turn around and the train is like there and then like now leaving not <laughs> us making another spongebob <laughs> reference see yeah. my we my got, thought we gotta hit the quota my thought doing it was actually the hey arnold episode about the ghost train that oh, was that's what i was thinking yeah. of <laughs> another good pull that's been a a yeah. long time since I've thought about that one. Millennials, are you getting all these? <laughs> if anybody could piece together that we're all 90s kids. Like... Yeah. <laughs> are you getting them all? Yeah. I mean, for all the Zoomers listening, uh, isn't Choo Choo Soul a really good show? Don't you miss that one? Don't you miss it? Look, see how literally nobody in this call is reacting because they don't know. I was trying to figure out if you made that one up or not. Yeah, no, Choo Choo Soul is a real show that ran on Disney. Shows how much you guys paid attention to the generation under you. Listen, they're doing fine. Listen, you you already know that I didn't watch TV or anything. (laughs) Um, so I'm going to have this one be the last question before I get us into our final thoughts and a, a, and a fun announcements and like everyone plugging their stuff um, because it's mm-hmm. getting pretty long, even though I'm going to be cutting half an hour for the Patreon. Um, 
So uh, this last one comes from Kitty. Um, it's for Roger and Caitlin. Um, do you ever tell anyone about the woods? Do you ever talk about it with each other? And does the memory fade over time? Mm. Do you guys remember me? Aww. Of course we remember Reggie. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is hard though because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Be- because it's it's like a very specific like this is Halloween night sort of a situation mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I almost feel like it takes on like more of the like the mythos of the holiday. Mm-hmm. Rather than it set being like set aside as like remember that time that we got lost on a random day and then all of these things happened, yeah. I feel like Posey would still talk to Reggie or talk to Reggie, um, talk to Odell about it. Mm-hmm. I think that she would still talk to Odell about it, but I think that it would probably not come as often as they got older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she'd ever truly forget it because there that's a lot of stuff that would have happened. Mm-hmm. But like also given how like matter of fact she is about everything else, I have to wonder if as an adult she would wonder if that was real. Mhm. What about Odell? Um Odell would definitely not talk to anybody about it. Um for fear of people calling him crazy. Mm-hmm. Um so I think Odell definitely wouldn't talk to anybody about it. And I would say probably initially he would probably discourage Posey from talking about it as well. Um, Not really because like (laughs) he's like trying to put it behind him or anything, but more just like he also thinks that people would probably view her as crazy, but probably not as much because she is a little younger. Um, Like in that regard to jump in here real quick i think you yeah. probably would have told her on the way home not to tell anyone and the second mm-hmm. they got in the door and her parents were there she would have been like mom dad yeah <laughs> yeah and just like and we were there for so long and it's like in reality we were gone like 45 minutes or something right and odell like over her sh- like shoulders is just like i don't know what she's talking about it's Halloween. Yeah. yeah and i'm just like yeah she had a lot of candy on the way so <laughs> <laughs> yeah we always have a soft spot for possums, though. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's her private eye logo is the possum. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As for the memory thing, I would say that, yeah, Adele definitely carries a memory of it, but um, certainly would not remember all of the names um, in particular <laughs> of people um, or anything like that. But I think he would just, like, remember in general um, and, and kind of reflect on it on Halloween, I think just like "Mm," every time it comes around Mm -hmm. yeah um does anyone have any final thoughts final things you wanted to talk about uh with your characters that we haven't yet it was a lot of fun to play reggie Mm -hmm. (laughs) this game in general was was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun with this one yeah it was a blast it was a lot of fun and i had a really good time playing with all of you dorbs I wish Aww. I could say the same. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. <gasps> <laughs> I'm kidding. Any any other final thoughts? Thanks for pu- running this game for us, of Fiona. Yeah. I I wanted to play. I was really excited to play this since I uh, 
since I first learned about this game. Even before we really started Fables, this was one that had been floating around on my list because we had talked about doing something like Fables, and I, I was really excited to play this game. Um, I'm excited yeah. that there's a second edition. I'm going to have this beautiful like hardcover copy of it. I'm really excited. Yeah, and I yeah I like the game a lot too. Actually, like I thought that like there was just a lot of like just good ideas in the game itself. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I know I know I'm not like the biggest like um the fan of like really like complicated uh rule sets, and this game was very easy to understand and grasp. So yeah, for my purposes, I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. I would also recommend this game if people were going to ask about games they should play, because I haven't actually played a lot of games outside of playing D&D, and this one was a really good like segue into hopefully playing more. And, and it's Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, so, so yeah. now you know how to play all the Powered by the Apocalypse games, because mm-hmm. you want to play this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. 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 Um, be sure to check out uh babes in the wood until may which is going to be shortly after this episode airs you can pre-order on backer kit at um babes in the your own copy from the kickstarter at the slightly discounted price um and after that they're going to go up onto adam's store uh worldchamp.io for anyone who wants to snag their own copy of babes and like i said i really recommend it um and so does everyone else yeah. Um so two little pink possum thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> um so does everyone want to plug their stuff before we get into our final special announcement? Sure. Go for okay. it, Nick. Yeah, Nick go All first, right. please. Do it. Uh I am Nick Yurseva. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick underscore Yurseva. Um, and you can follow Tales of the Voidfarer, my D&D 5th edition Spelljammer-inspired podcast that Fiona is on um, at, at VoidfarerPod um, on Twitter and uh, VoidfarerPodcast.com for all the info and episodes. And next week, the episode will be a series of interludes where um, Caitlin and Roger will both be on playing new characters at separate places of the setting um, and a little glimpse of other things going on. So I'm really excited for that. That's going to be so cool. Just like you. Hey. Oh, got her. Got her. Um, okay, Roger, why don't you go next? Uh, hey there. Um, so I have more things to plug since the last time I did one of these, I yeah. guess. Um, so I am also a streamer. Um, currently I'm streaming on both Facebook and Twitch. Um, I don't know. I might just make a decision to switch solely to Twitch at some point, but for right now, um, I go by the name Mr. Roger, that is M-I-S-T-E-R, R-O-D-G-E-R. Um, and so I am on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Mr. Roger, and I'm also on Twitch, um, so just twitch.tv slash Mr. Roger as well. Um, so I try to just stream different games there, and so if you're, if you, I don't know, if you like listening to my voice, you can watch my face while also listening to my voice while I play video mm-hmm. games. So I do that. Um, and that's pretty much the only thing that I really wanted to plug. Um, and yeah. That's it. Nice. Um, you can find me at um, on Instagram at 
sunshine underscore Kate. That is uh, Kate spelled K-A-I-T, the proper way to spell it. And, mm, shots fired. Um, that was very posy of you. <laughs> exactly. It's the proper way of spelling it. But uh, So you can find me on Instagram. Um, otherwise, uh, I guess you will be able to find me on an episode of The Void Fair. And then... Um, Fiona. <laughs> yeah, that uh, segues nicely. You'll also be able to find Caitlin on the next episode of Fables. As is tradition with our retrospective episodes, we end with what our next season will be as we like fully change over all of our advertising. Um, so the next Fables is going to be a pretty big thematic change from Lost, I I will say right away. Um, It's not going to be kid-friendly, like, even a little bit. (laughs) Um, So we are going to be playing Bluebeard's Bride, which is published by Magpie Games. I am so excited. This is another Powered by the Apocalypse game that was a ton of fun, and it's a real change of pace because um, me, Caitlin, and our friend Annie are all playing the same character, and that was such Mm. a cool experience, and I'm so excited for everyone to listen to it. it's an all-ladies cast, as I said, um, and it's being GM'd by our friend Chelsea, who asked a number of questions here. She played the Candy Witch on this season, and she also GM'd um, our second season of the show, Tainted Love, and she's been on, I think, every single season otherwise um, in various roles. And she also did the art for, for our cover, a cute little lost art. Um, Which was also a lie. We never had flashlights. <laughs> yeah, you never had flashlights. You got no, you got a, a lantern. Yeah, you uh-huh. got a lantern pretty quick, but no, no uh-huh. flashlights. Um, and, uh, and what's the title of the the chapter? Well, I, I, I'm getting to it. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Hey, <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this season is going to be called Fables Around the Table, Tiffany, and it's going to be an introspective look into the silent horrors of womanhood. Um, there are going to be trigger warnings in episode zero and at the beginning of each episode. Um, so just like as a general warning, this, this season does focus quite a lot on like abusive and toxic relationships and body issues. So if that's, you know, not your jam, totally understandable. Um, but yeah, we're going to do a deep dive into, uh, the psyche of Bluebeard's Bride. And I'm so, 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 so excited for everyone to listen. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, and there will be a trailer as soon as we end this part. There will be a trailer for Tiffany for you guys to listen to and uh, get hype. And uh, starting in May, the our our schedule is the second. Yeah, so as uh, the second week of of may the second wednesday of may um we will have our episode zero and you guys will all get to listen to that and get extra extra hype for the season um so yeah i'm I'm very excited yeah Mm -hmm. me too it's gonna be really good Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that's our next fable for you to get excited about um i will end it with um tom do you want to say who you are and what you do oh yeah, I'm Tom. You're, I'm Tom. around. It's fine. He's Tom. Tom. I, I keep him. I keep him locked yeah. in my house, <laughs> so that he can feed. So that he can feed the cat breakfast. 
yeah. and make music for me. Um. <laughs> and uh, you can come hang out with all of us on the Project Grail Discord, projectgrail.com slash Discord. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am Fiona L.F. Kelly at Fiona L.F. Kelly on social media. Tom and I have another podcast called Big String Pile, which goes in and out of activity because I'm bad about uploading the episodes. Um, but we are going to be coming back pretty soon here with a season I'm really excited about. So keep an eye out for that. We also have uh, two seasons available of Big String Pile for you to listen to. Um, so, yeah. Um, Thank you all for listening. If you're interested in more Project Derailed stuff, you can head over to projectderailed.com. We have merch for this season of Fables and all of our shows available on bit.ly slash derailed shop. And uh, you can join our Discord at the address that Nick said. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys had fun hanging out with us. Um, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next season. Bye. 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 Ooh, I can't wait to listen to the trailer. Once upon a time, there lived a lord whose place was so splendid and so richly furnished that even the sultans could not be compared with it. He was never spoken of by his real title, which was grand and noble, but instead, he was simply referred to as Bluebeard. Bluebeard scared the young woman, but maybe his beard wasn't quite that blue. She accepted his proposal. I don't know about you two, but they did kind of get in the witch's head. It's almost like a childlike fear, like how kids will sometimes get really, like, super afraid of something random and it doesn't, like, quite make sense. These seem like reflections of our own insecurities. Fables Around the Table, Tiffany. Debuting May the 12th. Will you open the door?